This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the best of talk of champions, brought to you by Modern Woodman. Joining me now on the Modern Woman phone line is former Ole Miss running back Deuce McAllister. He's a friend of this program, but he hasn't been on in a while, despite my best efforts. Deuce, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for coming on. And we're gonna we're gonna be bl- we're gonna be blaming you for my lack of being on the show. Okay. Yeah, it's my fault. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll pretend like that's true. Um, you've been a busy man, though. I mean, working with the Saints, and have you been watching Ole Miss much? I've been able to watch them. Um, obviously, you know, you want wins. Uh, but I think the one thing that you'll see is you, you you see the growth of this team, and now you just want that group to be rewarded with some W's. I mean, uh, let some of that hard work pay off for them. The Saints are in a weird spot. Drew Brees is out for a while. What's life been like as the color analyst for the Saints radio network and dealing with all the news around that team so far? Gloom and doom for the most part. But if you've watched this team close, you knew that they were still a talented group. Now, a lot happens as far as the quarterback is concerned, and you knew everyone would have to raise their level of play, and you were successful in doing so at least uh, when you had a two-game road trip on the second part of that game. You you were able to get some contributions from your defense as far as points are concerned, and then obviously your special teams were able to give you points as well. And then when you can get that to happen, uh, your offense just didn't have to hurt itself. I mean, because they really never sustained a lot of drives, but they were able to cash in a couple times as far as touchdowns were concerned. So, uh, you know, I think it's still a work in progress, but, you know, if they can just hold hold the ship until Drew gets back healthy, just, I mean, you, you're talking about play 500 ball. Uh, I think that they will give themselves a shot to at least qualify for the playoffs again. It was an impressive win going to Seattle. You got to see DK up close. Your impressions after that game, not only of the Saints' performance, which was impressive, like you mentioned, getting contributions from all three phases of football, but also getting to see DK and living out his dream, and he's playing well so far. He's playing well, and he's in a good system. I think, you know, obviously with Russell Wilson being a, a quarterback that likes to throw a deep ball, that's going to favor in DK's situation. You know, they had a couple questionable uh, let's just say clock management situation type situations where they had a couple timeouts, uh, didn't use them in the first half, and it, obviously it hurt them. But, um, you know, I think he's in a really, really good situation, a good coaching staff. I know Pete Carroll really well, um, and he, he loves him. Uh, you know, you just hate, you hate how everything happened, but at the end of the day, you kind of deal with what you have. And I think for him, they couldn't have failed to a better organization or, you know, a situation with a proven quarterback, one that likes to throw a deep ball. And I think as he continues to develop, you know, he's only going to get better. And, and then he's, he's adjusting to being an NFL guy. You know, what's funny when you talk about him, uh, I was fortunate enough to be, what, two and a half hours from my mom's house, you know, five hours from where I played my college ball for DK, he's across the country. I mean, so he's having to kind of grow up uh, on on his own in, in a sense, uh, you know, because he he's from Oxford, went to school in Oxford. And so for him to leave, he's kind of growing up and his, his mom and his dad, Terrence, they're, they're trying to allow him to do that in a sense, but it's still a little difficult, but uh, you know, he, he, he's keeping up with the rebels as well. You've been friends with Terrence for a long time. When did you know DK was a serious prospect, not just for college, but he could be something special? Probably his sophomore year in high school, but even even Terrence to tell you, man, I've been trying to change him. I, 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 look, DK, you know, like they tried to move me. Tuberville wanted to move me to linebacker. 
I, I've been telling Terrence, look, man, he, he's, he's an outside linebacker. He's a defensive end. You know, I just don't see him being a receiver. He is so big. He, he He's long. And he was fast. I said, man, he, he he's waiting to be a defensive end. He's waiting to be an outside linebacker. He has the perfect body for it. Uh, and that was really, you know, his sophomore year in high school. And then he comes into college and he's developing. And uh, I guess it was after his freshman year, talking to some of the guys that are in the NFL and, you know, they, they work with receivers and uh, DK was able to work out with, uh, with one of that, those guys. And he just told me, man, he, he he's a receiver. You know, he, he, he is a receiver. Uh, this guy's, you know, worked with different college guys and NFL guys in the off season. And he was like, you know, he's got some things that he has to work on, but his explosion, his, his ability to be physical at the top of the route, you know, all of those things he had, and we're talking about in college. And so, um, you know, the rest is kind of history. And we, we obviously were able to see what he was able to put up and do at the combine. You know, it's just unfortunate that we didn't get a full clip as far as uh, out of the three years that he was in Oxford. How did you get Tuberville off of wanting to put you at linebacker instead of leaving you at running back? John Avery twists his ankle and the NCAA held Joe Gunn up as far as uh, <laughs> uh, getting clearance. So if those two things don't don't happen, then you know I'm on the other side of the football. John A, John Avery twists his ankle before our first scrimmage, and so we were still thin at tailback. It was really Tony Canyon and Alishma Alexander, the, the true guys that had some experience or at least a lot of college experience on that side. And I ended up having to go back over uh, and 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 to play tailback and. And during that scrimmage, had 100 yard games rushing, had over 100 yards during that scrimmage. And you know, Coach Mazzoni was like, "You're not, you're not going back over there on that 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 defensive side. You're staying over here." I mean, but if John doesn't twist his ankle, and if Joe isn't held up by the NCAA to get cleared, you know, I don't know if I ever get a chance to to play running back. What would Deuce McAllister, the linebacker, been like? I could do it. I mean, I did it in high school. I, I just wanted the opportunity to touch the ball. I wanted the opportunity. I always said that if I if I touch it, I know I could do something special with the football. I mean, but I was I was a def- defender. I played both ways in high school. So I played safety and linebacker, outside linebacker in high school. So and corner, uh, and, you know, as I kept growing, it just moved inside or or safety. But uh I, I did it before, uh, so it wasn't anything new. I just didn't want to. I wanted to. I wanted to touch the football. Yeah, there's no way you'd have stayed at Ole Miss if they tried to keep you at linebacker. Been very hard. It would have been very hard. I mean, particularly after, I just wanted an opportunity to see if I could do it on that level. I don't think Coach Tubb was really gonna give me a fair share at doing that if 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 I didn't get that opportunity. I mean, if I if I go through a half a season and that's really what we said, hey, look, let's keep you over here this year. Um, if, 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 if you can contribute and you can help and play at that level, then fine. If not, you know, and I, I said, Hey, look, after my freshman year, if it, it, if it's not working and I see, I can't play running back at that level, then fine. You know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll play defense, but I just felt that I could, I could do something special with the football in my hand. The transfer culture is rampant now in college football. It's different. Players got more control over what they're doing and, and where they're going. They got more leverage. They still don't have what they deserve. But back then, it would have been hard, though, to go find a landing spot and talk to other schools. Were other schools after you, or did they kind of know that you didn't want to be a linebacker? Had that stuff started, or was it not like that yet? No, it never even got to that point. I mean, because we were still in fall camp. So it never even got to that point. I mean, uh, literally, you're talking about maybe two weeks in the fall camp, you know, how this is all unfolding. So it never even got to really that point. Man, I can't imagine you as a linebacker. Think about if you'd have been a linebacker, you wouldn't have gotten the Independence Bowl craziness and dominating the state. <laughs> what did they say to make them think that you weren't a running back? It was Jesse, you know, Jesse Armstead. All the you have to think about where Tuberville was coming from. A defensive coordinator at Miami. He was an outside. He was a linebackers coach there. And what he saw was myself fitting into that mold of some of those guys that he had had down at Miami. And so you talk about all the great Miami linebackers, you know, Ray, Ray Lewis is in that group. Uh, J- Jesse Armstead, 
there's a ton of them, you know, that he had coached and that's what he saw. I mean, he just saw the speed. He saw the size. Um, you're going to make an outstanding linebacker for me. And, you know, it was uh, really a running back. I was, a, I was an uh, afterthought for, him. you know, yeah, he, he played in high school. He was probably the best player on the team, but you know, I don't see him as a running back. Do you kind of see a little bit of yourself in Jerry on Ely? Yes and no. I mean, I think his, <laughs> he's so far ahead of where I was. Uh, you know, as far as freshmen in our careers, he's so far ahead of that. You know, um, it, it, it's amazing, you know, just to watch some of the kids that come out now and how much more developed they are, how much ready they are to play the game now as far as college is concerned. And so uh, you, you, you see the return ability, but you saw that when he was at prep, you saw, you know, and, and, and that's the biggest thing, get him in space and let him be a creator. As he gets more comfortable, as he puts on a little more weight, he'll be okay running inside. I mean, uh, that's just as he matures, but right now just get him in space, you know, figure out a way to get him in space and let him be a playmaker. When you saw him, because you're around that area, when you saw him in high school, did you know that he was the five-star guy, the instant impact guy pretty quickly? Pretty quickly. Um, you heard the stories about him kind of like you heard the stories about Cam. Cam Akers, who, you know, they're in ninth grade. And if you're around that area, he was one of the kids that, look, you got to go see him play. You know, you, you've got to go see this kid play. He is that good. And, you know, if he, he keeps his head on straight and he doesn't have, you know, suffer a major injury, he's going to play on the next level. You could see it right away. I mean, and it's just the, the biggest question with he was always, would he play football or baseball? And, you know, it, I, that was the only question that, you ever wondered, you know, because he loved both sports, but that would, you know, would major league baseball uh, keep him away from playing in the NFL or at least college football. And then, uh, you know, so far he's obviously made the right decision and uh, he's going to be an impact player for, for Ole Miss for a long time. He's already returned to kickoff for a touchdown. You were so dynamic as a returner. What makes a good returner be it kickoffs or punts? How can you be good at that? So that's another position Coach Tubb didn't want me to do. What? <laughs> if, if you go back and look, my freshman and sophomore year, I had zero returns. I, I wasn't a returner in his eyes. And and it was until Coach Coach Cutcliffe came, that's when he allowed me to be a returner. And <laughs> so I just have to laugh at it, you know, uh, he wanted the smaller, quicker guys. And look, we had some, we had some great, great returners. Andre Rohn uh, was back there, you know, obviously kickoff and, and, and punts, but I didn't return them until my, my uh, junior and senior year in college. And so I did it in, in high school uh, and I love to do it, but you know, it was the size, man, you don't put a 220, 20 pounds or 210 pound guy returner back there. Uh, the, 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 the first thing though, just as a returner, it's, it's having a vision and being quick enough or at least um, savvy enough to be able to set your blocks up. Uh, certain certain returns, uh, depending on the punt, you have to just to be able to catch it and get what you can get. But if you have an opportunity, you can make that first guy miss and get to the wall after that. It's just it's, it's, it's having the ability to be able to get to the wall. And then when you talk about kickoff returns, um, kickoff returns, in my opinion, is a little easier because you have uh, more time to, to allow that wall to be able to set it up. But it's about setting it up and then being able to find that crease, being able to find that soft spot. And then after that, you're just being an athlete in open field. Is the vision to be a returner just a God-given thing, or can you learn to do that? Uh, no, you have to. It's, it's a God-given thing as far as the vision to be able to see how everything unfolds and develops for you. I mean, but uh, to have the ability to be able to set it up, uh, that that's something that uh, you can develop. But the, the vision of it, that's just God-given. I've asked you about it before, but that onside recovery and you took it back to the house in the Independence Bowl, what did you see? Nobody. Nobody was in front. And I actually didn't know the rule uh, as far as could you actually return that that type of play, you know, because most of the time you see an onside kick, you see the guy recovered and he just goes down. Well, for me, I was able to catch it, you know, kind of like a shortstop on the perfect hop. And I didn't know uh, if you could return it. I mean, because on, on muff punts and something like that you know normally that ball is blown blown dead right there and you can't return it for a touchdown and so uh for me i was just like hey look if they blow the whistle 
so be it. You know, we get the ball right here, but you never heard a whistle blow. Uh, and so I just took it in. And so that's what I go into the sideline and talking to coach Passaccia is like, I just caught it and I didn't know, you know, I didn't know if I could, there was no need to go down because nobody was in front of me. Uh, and so I just took it, took it to the end zone, but I didn't know if the refs were going to blow the whistle and say, no, you can't uh, advance that football. You, but you know, there was no reason to go down because no one was in front of. That's so disappointing because for my entire life, I've always thought that was one of the cockiest and most badass plays ever. And you're just telling me is you did it because you didn't know. <laughs> that, that's the truth. I did not know that if you could advance that kick. I mean, because ninety <sighs> percent of the time or ninety-five percent of the time, you see a guy recover it, he just goes automatically down. And for me to be able to catch it perfect off of the hop, uh, I was like, all right, well, there's nobody here. I'm gonna run until they blow the whistle, and the refs never blew the whistle. See, I wanted you to say the next time I talk to you about this, I want to hear you say, "Oh, I just wanted to bury him, and I knew I could beat the crap out of him." <laughs> no more about this. I didn't know. No, 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 no. You gotta fix little Ben's old memories of that. <laughs> we'll erase that thought process away yeah. then. Yeah, got to do that. What's your favorite Ole Miss memory? When people ask you now, it's been a while. I've asked you this a hundred times before, but now that there's been the benefit of time and you got all these young cats coming up into the league, you're dealing with them with the Saints. When they say, Deuce, what were you like? What do you tell them? My favorite and fondest is obviously walking off the field, a winner against State, my last game. Uh, that's something that you can never take away. Uh, it was in the rain, and to be able to do it in that manner was was pretty special. But of all the things, I, just going back and, and, and the plays that you made as far as a player, and this is a cocky one now, I was never caught from behind on any run or pass or catch that I had uh, in college. So if it was a 60-yarder, 70-yarder, whatever it was, I was never caught from behind. Ah, So I I knew once I got in – I knew when I got in the open field, there was nobody going to catch me. They they weren't going to catch me now. I remember against Mississippi State, I slowed down and started watching myself from the jumbotron, but I started slowing down at the 15 to 20-yard line, uh, and I ended up getting tackled in the end zone. But, I mean, I wasn't going to let him catch me before I scored. But outside of that, there was not an opportunity where I got in the open field and a defender was able to catch me and tackle me uh, as far as for a run. Please tell me you were a shit talker. No, did not talk at all. I just wanted to go and play the game um, very, very, very few times was I going to, to talk a lot? You know, it may have been guys talking noise and I may have said something uh, back, but it was not, you know, it was not going to be something constant for me to to talk to, to the uh, opponent. I always think about this when I think about shit talkers. There's that viral video of this kid and he's walking up to the line of scrimmage, basically taunting the wide receiver that he's covering and the whistle <laughs> blows. Wide receiver runs, it just runs over the guy and it's the best video, was there ever a time when somebody was taunting you and you didn't say anything, you just destroyed them? Yes and no. I mean, the, the, there were guys that liked to talk, and, you know, they, they would they may get a good shot on you, get, you know, a, a, a tackle you, um, but there were not a lot for me to just go out there and, um, you know, I, trust me, you had linemen that, that loved to talk and yelled and got excited, and, you know, and that, that, that may have fired me up or pumped me up, but, I mean, for me to just go out there uh, after a good play and tell a guy something, Nah, you know, I, I, I just I just wanted my, my play to speak for me. Smoot talked all the time. And went hush. <laughs> and would not hush. He's still talking, probably. Yeah, that, that is true. Were you tight with Smoot? I, I knew Smoot. I knew Fred. Got to, got to know him a lot better once we got to the NFL. But, uh, we, you know, I knew him just because of where we were from. We were both from, the, you know, around the same area and um, had mutual friends outside of football. So, yeah, I knew I knew Fred fairly well. Mississippi players, I think when they go pro, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, the rivalry aspect of Mississippi State Ole Miss kind of falls away. It's more friendly ribbing. Mississippi kids, they stick together when they go pro, right? Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, like even even uh, JT Gray, who is uh, one of our um, 
reserve safeties. He's, he he plays really well. He's a special teams. I got I would call him a star uh, for us. Uh, so we don't rib each other as much, even though you know. Uh, now we may talk a little trash um, as far as Ole Miss State once we play each other. But throughout the season, you know, it's it's not as bad. It's not nearly as bad when you're in college. I mean, because I think uh, we 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 all follow it. But even like this weekend, I I got to know. Oh, I I'd met KJ Wright even before this weekend. But you know, I got to talk to him and see him a little bit. And you know, he, he he's a good guy. You know, and I I mess with him. I always say, look, I'm gonna get you a little red and blue so you can wear it around and feel good about yourself. And so we 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 joke with each other, but it's not as like it is when you're in college one of the last things the saints keeping their heads above water waiting on drew to get back how do you feel about their ability to do that do you think that sunday was a positive step as far as what they have to be in order to do that yes and they don't have to play perfect to be able to win and then and and in no way did they play perfect on on uh this past sunday against seattle and so for them to see that look, we can still play better and we can be successful, then I think that's the uh, encouraging piece for them. Uh, from an offense, offensive standpoint, I still think that, look, Alvin, he he's amazing, a uh, really, really outstanding player. It's a shame Butch Jones <laughs> didn't see that as well. I mean, it, 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 it's amazing to see him do some of the stuff that he does on the football field. But for them, they still have other guys that can kind of contribute and help. And so far, they hadn't got that contribution from them, Jared Cook and, and Latavius Murray. And so it's really up to Sean to figure out, okay, how can I get these guys more involved? Because both of those guys are talented and can help take some of the pressure off of Alvin and Michael Thomas. What are your thoughts on Eli? I love him to death. And I hate what's what's going on with him, but if you know Eli, he's going to be a pro. And the thing, um, at some point, Father Time is going to get us all, particularly in this league. And you, as a player, you never want to stay around too long, but you always feel like that you can still play this game. And, you know, he's going to help Daniel as best as he can. At the same time, I know he wants to go out there and play. Uh, for me, I don't think that they ever gave him enough, particularly later on in his career, as far as offensive line. I mean, you, you, you've given him good skill guys, but you still have to protect it. And I just didn't feel like that they did a good job of doing that as far as to protect Eli. And I understand that Daniel's probably a little more mobile. So uh, having the best protection isn't his thing. He doesn't need it yet. But I mean, if you get up to year 10, year 12, year 14, you better be able to protect your quarterback. And so, you know, Eli's going to be a pro, though. He's going to help and 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 be a teammate, and you know, prepare himself if he ha if he's needed. Uh, he's going to obviously go out there and do it. But you just hate to see it happen in this way, and it's not even a question if he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. You you get some some members of our media on our sides questioning that just because of the win loss record. I mean. Guy won two Super Bowls and Super Bowl MVP. I mean, so it's it's not even questionable. And then he played for what sixteen years. Get out of here. Never missed a game as far as uh, because of injury. Get out of here. When did you know it was time to hang him up? I didn't want to. I didn't want to have another surgery though. I had eight eight knee surgeries and I needed another knee surgery to fix a partial torn ACL. And on my last surgery, I told Doctor Andrews. Doc, I love you, but I'm not coming back. And if I have to come back, I'm done. And that's really what it was. And so um, I remember going in and meeting with Coach Payton, and he kind of telling me, hey, look, we're going to go in a different direction. I want you to take some time, process it. I would love to have you to be a part of the staff uh, and, and, and still be a part of it. But for me, I said, no, you know, I, I think I can still play. I think I can still play. And so I went and trained down in Pensacola, uh, tried to see if I could get myself, you know, in, in, into pretty good shape and didn't have to have that, that surgery that, uh, you know, I thought I needed, or at least we didn't, we didn't do the surgery. And I, I did get two phone calls. I got one from the giants and then I got one from Kansas city, uh, as far as an opportunity, uh, but neither were long-term. Both were probably going to be one. It was the Kansas City was to come in and kind of mentor uh, Larry Johnson. That's when he was having his 
off the field situations. So for me, I wasn't going to be dressing. And then with the Giants, it was a two-week situation because Brandon Jacobs had gotten um, hurt. And they, you know, basically uh, told me um, when he comes back, we're going to be releasing you. And so you'll probably be on special teams. And that at that point in my career, that wasn't something that I was excited about doing. So um, I didn't, I, I declined both offers and I never really got another, another opportunity. And so it's humbling, but at the same time, I knew that I did pretty good. That's got to be hard though. I mean, ball has been life and then, to just kind of run up against that roadblock and realize, oh, God, it's over, and it's so abrupt. That had to be really hard. It was tough. I mean, it was tough. I mean, because you, you're talking about something that you, you had done all of your, your life, and then, like you said, all of a sudden it's like, hey, it's over. You know, you, you get a couple phone calls as far as your agent is concerned, and um, but this is the situation, and outside of that, you know, it's – yeah, the phone's not ringing. And so it's okay. I have to go into the next phase of, of my life. And, you know, what do I want to do sort of, sort of deal. And so that was just kind of trying to figure it out. And you look at it as like, man, I'm not even 30 years old and it's over as far as the game of football, because you always think oh, I'm going to play for 10, 10 years. I'll rush for, uh, you know, as running back, I'm going to rush for 10,000 yards and the injuries kept a lot of that from happening. You're a Hall of Famer in my book. He's former Ole Miss running back Deuce McAllister, one of the greatest Ole Miss Rebels ever. It's been too long. Thanks for coming back on this podcast, man. I appreciate it. Not a problem at all, buddy. You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your Modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662-296-0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty toddy and go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America. Touching lives, securing futures. The Modern Woodman Phone Line. Cool. We'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman. Let's make a difference together. Joining me now on the Modern Woodman Phone Line, it's Von Hutchins, former Ole Miss defensive back, played 13 years in the NFL. He's now a Southeast scout for the NFL PA Bowl. Formerly a scout for the Oakland Raiders. You've been busy, Vaughn. How you doing, man? Man, been busy. Shit, I'd be uh really busy if uh, if I if I played thirteen years. I actually played six. Uh thirteen years of actual experience in the NFL. I, I put in six years, uh spent time with the Indianapolis Colts, Houston Texans, finished up with the Atlanta Falcons, and then once I finished up ball, uh immediately got into uh personnel. Uh, spent the next seven years with the Oakland Raiders, five as a pro scout, two as the assistant director of pro scouting up there with the Raiders uh, the entire time with Reggie McKenzie uh, and his staff, man, and thoroughly enjoyed myself, man. I've been around ball all my life, man. What's harder, being a player or trying to find the next great player for your team? <laughs> You'd be amazed, man, at at how much tape you watch, at how much uh, – of your time is invested of learning guys, uh, not just the football player, and I'm and I'm talking about his uh, working in personnel, but not just the football player himself and what he can do on the field and what he can't do on the field and what you think that how he may project to the next level. But what is the guy? How is the guy? You know the personality, uh, where he's come from, what type of drive he has. Uh, What's his heart? You know, what's going on on, on the inside? Uh, so, that perspective, man, that was the tough part about the game. That was the tough part about scouting, you know, just projecting uh, how a guy is going to do at the next level. How will a guy do with money? Uh, with myself uh, and playing, man, obviously, man, just 
the preparation, you know what I mean? Uh, once you get onto that next level, once you make it to the league, man, everybody's good, everybody's talented, everybody's skillful. Uh, at that point, it's, a, it's about, you know, just getting yourself to the next game. Once you've made the 53 and you cross that hurdle, uh, how do you get yourself prepared to play the next game? I'm sitting here watching Monday Night Football right now, thinking to myself, man, these guys right here that are going through uh, 60 minutes of hell, as we put it, now they got to play a game this coming up Sunday. You know, these these guys got uh, a short time to to get things rolling again. So uh, that's the thing about that's the thing about the league, man. Just the the preparation, you know, uh, getting your body back right being a true professional and, you know, a bunch of the guys that have played in the league, man, hats off to Eli for what he did this past weekend in helping Daniel, Daniel Jones, uh, uh, prepare and get ready for his first start. But, you know, those man, guys like that, just getting your body right mentally, physically, emotionally ready to play week in and week out. That's the tough part about playing at this level. Is there a certain criteria you follow, a base criteria, when you're trying to scout and find a good player? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Ath- athletically, uh, you want to be want to make sure that 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 they will uh, be able to compete at the next level. So, uh, athletically, you have to have uh, a certain skill set, uh, play strength, explosiveness, play speed, FBI. Those are the five critical factors we truly look for. So athletic ability, play strength, explosiveness, play speed, and FBI. So at every position, and then from that point, you have subcategories that you can you know, fully uh, critique a player in that regard. So whether you're talking about the quarterback position, the running back position, wide receiver, defensive back, D-tackles, D-ends, uh, inside linebackers, outside linebackers, safeties, corners, uh, and then each scheme is specific to how uh, each skill set is going to be weighted, how each critical factor will be weighted. Uh, when we were with uh, uh, Jack Del Rio out with the Raiders, uh, we didn't emphasize the fullback, uh, you know, Musgrave scheme in uh, 2016. Uh, 2017 didn't emphasize the pullback, so that wasn't a position that we put much weight into. Jason Tarver's defense, we ran a 3-4 type scheme where we ended up drafting Khalil Mack. Uh, That defense uh, put a lot of pressure on the edges, so we needed guys who were 6'3", 250 pounds or more. Uh, Ideally, you wanted them to run uh, 4-7 or better. Uh, Ideally, you want these guys to have 33-inch arms or better. Uh, ideally, you want them to have this type of explosiveness. Now, at the end of the day, will you ever find this this guy in one, uh, all these critical factors that uh, hit your standard in one person? Probably not. And if, you, and if he does, somebody else is going to take him. You know, he just won't be sitting there for you. Uh, but every once in a while, you hit a gym. Every once in a while, you hit a Khalil Mack. And, and you see this guy on tape, and you're like, bro, I hope no one else uh, is infatuated with this type of player and has that type of need uh, for this player at this spot. And when you do, you know, you see what you get. You get two sacks, two forced fumbles in a game. You know, as you, as you putting on a show out here. What's the toughest position to scout? Safety. Safety, in my opinion, defensively is the toughest position to scout simply because uh, a lot of times in college ball, uh, they don't do much. Really, in pro ball, too, they don't do much unless you're scheme-specific. Great safeties jump off the screen to you. Uh, Earl Thomas jumps off the screen. Sean Taylor jumps off the screen. Uh, These type of guys, when you watch Malik Hooker at at Ohio State, he jumped off the screen because of the type of ball skills he had. But then you go back and you watch uh, Penn State tape of Adrian Amos. Uh, and he was with the Bears formerly. He's currently with the Packers. And you could watch three games and you feel like, bro, I don't know what this guy does. You know what I mean? 
you, you feel like, okay, he makes firm tackles, but you don't know how he is in the middle of the field. Uh, you feel like he he has a good understanding of zone, but you don't necessarily see him open up full speed and run. Uh, you don't know how he can cover man-to-man. So that position requires a lot of uh, tape study and diligence and watching and an understanding of football and then talking to the coaching staff, talking to guys that are around the building with him and speaking with those uh, his position coach and being like, okay, how is Adrian – uh, when he's in the building, how he how is he as a learner? Uh, what does he do when he goes to the weight room? As a strength coach, uh, is he committed to the process? Does he come early? You know, it just tells you a lot about the guy. So that position, you're really trying to figure out, okay, how is this guy? Because they're the quarterback of the defense. You know, safeties, linebackers, the quarterbacks of the defense. So you need this guy to be able to communicate. You need him to be able to change uh, uh, the defense formationally uh, based off what the offense does, uh, schematically based off what the offense does. Uh, so it's, a lot of it is is mental as well as what go, goes on uh, from a physical standpoint once you actually look at the tape. And then the other position, obviously, is quarterback because there's so many different factors that, that, that come into play when, you, when you're evaluating quarterback. Easy evaluations are, you know, Eli Manning, you get back the the criteria, you know, you talk to Coach Cut, and boom, everybody in the building loves them. Everybody in the in the building vouches for them. Everybody in the building uh, has a positive uh, regard for them. But then you look at a guy like Baker Mayfield, and it can go two two different ways, just based off of how you feel. You know, Ben, you may not like short quarterbacks, you know, and that could be an end all be all for you. So Baker may not even be on your board. Whereas for me. I just like his swag. I like the confidence. I like the guy. I met the guy in person. Shit, I, I feel like I can have a beer with this guy. You know, you, you, you know what I mean? So it, yeah. it's all based off of different uh, schemes, different types of philosophies offensively, uh, what you plan to do offensively with your scheme, and then just personal preference. Who's the guy that when you were out scouting, you saw him and you went, yeah, that guy's going to be a superstar. You just knew it. Oh, man. Uh, I, I got a couple that I saw uh, in person. Now, now I was a, a pro scout, so I did the vast majority of my work in-house. Uh, that's the cutting players, uh, filling out the roster on a week-to-week basis, making sure that we have 53 guys on the roster, 10 guys on P-Squad, two of those guys being exception guys, guys that uh, uh, had more than three years of uh, – accrued years in the league, but I was allowed to get on the road quite a bit, especially when I did advances and especially during pro days. Uh, me personally, I went down and I saw Chris Jones work out when he was at Mississippi state and Chris Jones was different. You know, anytime you see a guy that's six, four, six, five, 300 plus that moved the way he moved, you know, that was an immediate, a hey, hey, Reggie, uh, I know we got this guy at this spot on the board. Hey, I think we need to bump this guy up because I hadn't seen a 300-plus pounder be able to move his feet in the type of way that he can move his feet, be able to uh, rush the passer and flip his hips the type the, the type of way I've seen this guy flip his hips. Uh, so that was one for me that that I that I knew was different, you know. And you and you do you watch the tape and Chris Jones was a guy who, you know, just like a lot of D linemen, you know, be completely honest. They play hard some plays, and then other snaps is like, bro, where's Chris Jones? You know what I mean? Uh, and, and and it was a hard evaluation just from that standpoint because then you talk to the guys in the building, and then you'd be like, okay, well, what's going on with Chris? Oh, he thinks he's playing hard. You know what I mean? So it, 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 it was kind of difficult from that perspective, and then some of the background stuff, you just had to kind of continue to dig and do some do some homework. But from a physical standpoint, from from the physical attributes, from a athletic perspective, uh, he was just different than the vast majority of the guys that I scouted. Uh, then another one just happened to be at Mississippi State, uh, also with Gabe Jackson. Now, Gabe, uh, we were a team where Reggie uh, really emphasized power. A guy, guys that can move the line of scrimmage, guys that could create a new line of scrimmage. And Gabe Jackson was a guy who was thick in the lower body. He was thick in his legs. 
he was physically strong. Obviously, he was a big man. He was an upwards of 330 pounds, if I'm not mistaken, at the time when we drafted him. But, you know, you talk to those guys at State, and at any point, Gabe could be 350, you know, depending on when he actually went home and had dinner. You know, you know what I'm saying? But when you saw him move, it was always balanced. It was always coordinated. He's not the fleetest of foot as far as athletically. However, uh, balanced, under control, being able to change direction, uh, short area quickness for a guy that's that big and that powerful, plus his size and his length, you could easily see how that could translate to what he's doing on Sundays. And he hasn't made a Pro Bowl yet, but I think he's a Pro Bowl caliber guard, in my opinion. How tough is the conversation with the guy that you know you have to cut? Uh, some are easier than others because, I mean, guys kind of know how they play. You know, I, I've been in their shoes. I've been in their position. I've been cut. I've been, I've made squads. I've been released. I've been put on PUP. Uh, I've gotten the, the big uh, free agent contract. I've been drafted. So I've, I've put myself in their shoes plenty of times. Uh, so some are easier than others. Uh, the, the toughest cut that I had to make personally was Marquette King. And it was Marquette because I had a personal relationship with, with Marquette. You know, uh, Marquette was one that would come in and he would confide in me with things that he would do uh, during the week, issues that he would have uh, with, with coaches, uh, just developmental process of him actually learning the position. I remember a conversation I had with Marquette uh, his rookie year. It was after a game where he, man, he, he bombed some kicks. He had some 65, 70-yard punts, but a few of them went into the end zone. You know, Marquette was one that he would get to the 50-yard line, and boom, he would punt it as hard as he could. It was a 70-yard punt. It was through the end zone. Yeah, Marquette, you bombed it, but it was a 30-yard punt net. Like, what did you really do? You know, so he would call me the next morning and it was like, hey, Marquette, like, hey, it's a time and a place to use your leg strength and it's a time and a place to use uh, uh, accuracy, being able to uh, pin guys deep. That's something that you need to work on. So I went through that whole developmental process with Marquette. And the day that we had to release him, he actually had come into my office. It may have been 6.37 in the morning, to be completely honest with with you. Because uh, I had seen him the, the day prior, just so happened to be flying into Oakland. And we landed at the same time. I saw him at the facility, and he told me that he would drop by in the morning because he, we, we were having a new coaching staff come in, Gruden's uh, staff, and he wanted to know what he could do to uh, uh, make himself, uh, make the, that new coaching staff more comfortable with him because he had been reading reports that they didn't like him, you know? So, you know, he came into the office early that morning and he was doing something in the community uh, that he had to be at around 8 o'clock or so. But not long afterwards, and said, hey, man, we got to make a move on Marquette. And it was something that we had discussed for about two weeks uh, that may happen. Uh, so that one was tough because, like I said, I just talked to Marquette that day, that morning, and I had to give him a call back you know, not half hour after he left, knowing that he was doing a community service project in the community and say, hey, Marquette, hey, whenever you get a chance, give me a call back. I need you at the facility. You know, so that one was a little bit different for me. Uh, that one was kind of tough. Uh, and that one kind of hit, you know, close to home because at, at some point we are human. At some point we, like I said, I've been in that situation. I've been uh, with the Colts in 2016 where I made the 53 following training camp. And that was that Sunday when final cuts were made. And then that Monday been released, you know, so I've been in that situation before. So I know how it is from the other side. Uh, so, I mean, he, he understood, he got it. Uh, and I still communicate and talk with Marquette, even when he was out in Denver, even now when he's a, he's a free agent trying to get on with other squads. So, I mean, like, like I said, I've been through it. I understand the process. You're from Natchez, um, Gil Brandt, Hall of Fame scout, released before the season started the states with the most NFL players on opening day rosters. And Mississippi was 14th of all states. What is it about this state and the talent level when you come around and scout? Do you feel like this state can compete with pretty much anyone else? Absolutely. Absolutely we can. Uh, the thing is, 
you know, there's a, there's songs out or there's a song out that says, you know, get it out the mud. You get it out the mud. And that's what guys do. Guys are humble. Guys are self-made. Guys have, have created themselves uh, and been, been brought up around ball. The South is heavy and, and football, heavy and Friday night lights. Uh, and these guys love to go out and compete. They may not be on the same type of stage as a Florida as a Georgia, as a California, where guys, or Texas, where guys are doing all these seven-on-seven camps, especially during the summer and during the spring. Uh, but you have hungry uh, players, hungry athletes, uh, who are just just ready to go out and compete, go out and show exactly what they have on a week-to-week basis. And I think that's what Mississippi has. So what's the relationship to Ole Miss now for you, Vaughn? It's been a while, but I've seen you around. I've seen you in the IPF looking at players. What's the relationship now with Ole Miss? Oh, I have a good relationship with those guys. I don't. I hadn't had an opportunity to get back much. I, I did get back uh, for the Arkansas game, was able to connect with Matt Luke. I saw him at the Senior Bowl last year. Uh, Charles Clark is a buddy of mine, uh, the defensive back coach. Uh, I have a really good relationship with him. Uh, we have a group of really about 10 guys on, on group text. And we're talking about Jesse Mitchell, Marcus Woodson, Brian Brown, uh, B. Brown at Louisville, C. Clark at Ole Miss, uh, Keith Houston. He coaches a high school in, uh, in West Memphis in, up in Arkansas area. Uh, you know, uh, Jeremy Garrett, he's at Vanderbilt. I just saw him two weeks ago. You know, just a bunch of guys who are really, 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 really good guys who just so happened to be either around ball, affiliated with ball, or just doing really well for themselves. Uh, so I still stay in contact with a lot of the guys there, but I just haven't been able to get back as much. I mean, obviously I lived out in the Bay Area for seven years, which is about as far as you can get from <laughs> Mississippi. <laughs> you know what I mean? As far as price range, too. You know? uh, but Ole Miss is home, man. I have some of the best memories of my life at uh university of Mississippi at, in Oxford at Ole Miss, uh, in the Grove at Vault Hemingway. Obviously we didn't have the, the IPF. We didn't have what 1810 grill as they have them <laughs> and all of that. But, uh, every time I go back, it's still the same faces. You know, I went back not too long ago or, or a couple of weeks ago and seen Possum, uh, seen Ken Crane on the sideline, uh, was able to give those guys, give them hell and, and, and talk trash, man. It, it's just great to go back and see the changes uh, that Ole Miss football has made and the type of players, the quality and the caliber of players that they're able to get from Orr to Tunzel to A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Evan Ingram, Dawson Knox. Uh, you see these guys playing consistently on Sundays and not just playing. I mean, we got stars. We got guys that are playing extremely well. You know, so it, it's a sense of pride. It's a sense of uh, uh, brotherhood. You know, I, I don't I don't know a lot of these guys personally, but all I got to do is throw out a hottie toddy or, you know, throughout my draft year. And we're the same guy. What's the greatest Ole Miss memory on the field? <sighs> greatest Ole Miss memory for me is, is something that I still give my guys from Florida hell about, to be completely honest. I was just down at... University of Florida and seeing Kiwan Ratliff and Rand Carthon is, is one of my good buddies. But uh, the back-to-back years when we beat Florida, uh, we tore down the goalposts when they were a top-10 team, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, I was one of those people uh, tearing down the goalposts, Vaughn. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know? So we tore, we tore down the goalposts. That, that was 2002, if I'm not mistaken, something yep. like that. And then we went to Gainesville. With uh, who did they have? C.J. Leak playing quarterback was that Chris Leak, and I was able to get an interception in Gainesville, and we won that game. Uh, so just that that sequence was was uh, extremely uh, for me. It was okay. I think that we've arrived. We've arrived as a school. Obviously, we had Deuce McAllister and those guys come through earlier, so the draft picks were there, uh, but just those two consecutive years and then then finalizing it with the the victory in the Cotton Bowl in uh, 2004, 
just for me, just kind of solidified, like, okay, Ole Miss is here on the map to stay for quite some time. Before I let you go here, you mentioned it already, but you're close with Eli, a former teammate of his at Ole Miss. He's had a long, distinguished career with the New York Giants. He's handled this transition to Daniel Jones with complete class and grace. What are your thoughts on Eli, just his legacy as a Giant, his legacy at Ole Miss? He's one of the greatest, if not the greatest players in Ole Miss history. Just what are your thoughts on Eli right now? Man, Eli's a great guy, absolute great guy. Uh, love playing with him, love going through the through the battles with him, going through the fires with him. Uh, and I look at him right now, and I'm thinking, wow, this man is still playing. You know, there's not many guys that are still playing from my 2004 draft class. There's only a handful. You know, we're talking about 13, 14 years in the league. What is he, like 14, 15 mm-hmm. years yep. in the league strong right now? So, I mean, just that in and of itself should speak to the type of legacy that he has, including the Super Bowl victories. Uh so, I mean, my hats are off to the guy. Uh, at the end of the day, man, everybody's run uh, comes to an end. It's a matter of how you handle it. It's a matter of if they take it from you or you, you know, allow it to, to allow or you have the ability to, to, hey, I'm done with you yourself. You know, and, you know, this may not be the, the last we hear of Eli. I don't know how long he uh, plans to kind of, you know, stick around. I don't know if you know, being a backup with the Giants is this next route or, or he moves on to another team, whatever it is, I know he's going to make the best decision that for him and his family. But man, Eli's a phenomenal guy. Like you said, uh, he's borderline Hall of Fame type player, and he's definitely one of the greatest players to ever come through Ole Miss. So I got nothing but respect for the guy. He can just come on home, eat all that Ajax that he wants, and go throw it around in the Manning Center. He'll be good. <laughs> you know what? He'll be great no matter what. And no matter what. At the end of the day, man, yeah, we, we may have to – uh, drop the speed limit down to 10 now. Oh, God, it's already too slow, Vaughn. Don't say that. (laughs) Too slow. He's Vaughn Hutchins, former Ole Miss defensive back. 13 years in the NFL. Thank you so much for doing this, man. I appreciate it. We'll do it again. Man, definitely, definitely. Anytime, anytime. Give me a shot. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.